Hello, welcome back to another episode of Thought Architecture. I'm Justin, and uh, yeah, we're going to wrap up our learning formula parts today. So this little mini-series on the learning formula has been all about um, what is basically the, the ideas that science is supporting with regard to the steps of learning. So part one is pre-learning, which is organizing all your information and being able to recognize within yourself what you're ready to learn and what you're connecting it to learning as well. Part two is peri-learning, which is actually the deconstruction-reconstruction phase. There's a lot in there as well, so I uh, suggest if you haven't heard it, please go back into the previous audio. Highly, highly, highly recommended. Um, And today we're doing the post phase, the uh, post-action phase, which is basically reflection and feedback. And so um, just to remind you, part one is just an overview of the formula. Part two then goes into the pre-learning part three into the peri-learning, and now today, part four. So this is the learning formula, part four, the post-learning, okay? So if we're taking a very broad spectrum of learning here, we can put it down to things that you need to learn for a job, skills, things like that, um, how to do X. We can also break it down to, okay, cool, information, let's say university, high school, you're breaking down something for uh, study points, okay? But then also we can talk about learning in regard to, okay, well, I just want to up my skills in my daily life, for example, learning a language or perhaps learning how to play piano, something like that. Okay, so with all of these in mind, the feedback loop is actually one of the best that we can do. It's the idea that, um, how do we know? that we're successful let's let's assume we perform something okay we uh we learn a a song okay on piano and we perform it one time and it's successful how do we know that our learning is actually uh good learning that is to say that it's deep learning that it's uh, an automatic learning that's a profound understanding of the source material well we don't just do it one time, we do it multiple times. And so this would go into the peri-learning phase. There's a certain amount of execution that you need to accomplish. Um, If you believe the, uh, what are they called, the blue arrows, which are the, uh, I know, the blue angels, which is the um, aerial acrobatics group, uh, where they will drill something 64 times before um, attempting it in the air. Because the idea is that Um, There's a certain amount of repetition the brain needs to go through to automate things, okay? So if that is the case, then that means that we need to be able to judge our performances and say whether we achieved success due to luck or skill. And this requires us to be a little bit more critical of ourselves. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people in in the world are are very sensitive to any kind of criticism, any kind of feedback. Um, and so for most of us, actually, it's it's quite difficult to go to this feedback loop. However, it is pertinent that we get there because once we get over our fears and our concerns about criticism and feedback, we can actually accelerate our learning curve substantially. So that being said, uh, we go into it and we talk about um, a very simple idea. In your head, as you learn, you start building up a model you know, your schema of how these things work. And the result of it is that you ultimately try and test it out with skill development. Now, the fastest way to improve your skills is by being able to notice yourself or having someone notice something about your skills. So once again, if we say, let's say, take 10 performances, 10 iterations of a particular skill that we've practiced, and we can observe all of them, The idea is that we're going to see a pattern of what our number one weakness is, let's say. 
Um, and in that case, when we observe ourselves, we actually will um, put the feedback stronger into our minds than if someone tells us. So I always ran this with a lot of students where I said, which one do you think is faster? Self-correction, peer correction, that's student-to-student -student correction, or the teacher correction, teacher-to-student correction? And everyone was like, oh, teacher-to-student correction is actually stronger. Well, actually, it's not. If you think about how many corrections the average student takes before they start listening to what the teacher has to say about their correction, the better right? The more, the better. However, however, it takes maybe one or two iterations of us noticing our own mistakes and therefore like almost having an emotional response to us to be able to then change our actions. And so our self-correction is far more powerful and we need far fewer corrections. So I would say the first part of this post-learning loop has to be reflection which is self-feedback. How did I perform? How did I feel about this as well? Um, what is my current level like? What is my own judgment of this? And by doing this first, we get to then hold it up against the feedback of someone else. For example, if I'm learning a language, what does the teacher say about my performance? And if I can judge my performance almost to the same degree that the teacher can judge my performance... There is a very simple idea that what is happening in my head with regard to how I understand this skill is very much aligned with how other people understand the skill as well. Okay. And this alignment is pertinent. And what do I mean by that? Okay, I want you to take this one idea. There's one concept. Nobody likes the sound of their own voice when it's on a recording. You know, when you watch yourself in video or you listen to yourself on the radio or something like that, you know, you recorded yourself and you're like, ah, oh, I really sound like that because in my head I don't sound like that. I sound terrible. Like, what, what's going on? For most people, that's how they think. Now, the reason for this is actually because we have um, a few different voices. So the first voice is the voice in our head. Now, there's two versions of this. Is number one is we can have a projected voice, which is usually a conditioned voice. You can hear the voice of someone famous that you've been listening to recently or the voice of someone around you, something like that. It's not your voice. Then you have your voice in your head as well. After this, you have the voice in your ear. And the voice in your ear is going to be different from the voice that other people hear. So what you hear and what other people hear is different. Why? If you think about the mechanism of hearing, it's based on vibrations. The mechanism of the vocal cords and speaking is also based on vibrating the vocal cords, in which case you have two sets of vibrations interacting with each other in the skull. And this changes the sound that you hear, which means that the voice that you hear yourself speaking in all the time is actually not your true voice. It's not your real voice. It's actually... Um, manipulated and contorted by the actual production of the sound. So the voice that other people hear of you is actually a truer voice than the one you hear in yourself. So that being said, that means that it's almost, it, it's almost like paramount for you to be able to record yourself and listen to yourself without the interference of your own vibrations, your own you know, production of sound getting in the way of you receiving that sound as well. So if you want to change your accent, it's time to record yourself. If you want to hear how you sound, it's time to record yourself. So reflecting 
is a great form of doing this, like going over footage of what you've done. So it's a great way to correct physical physical things that you um, see in others, but you don't necessarily identify in yourself because there's too much interference. And so my advice is separate out the interference from the signal. Very simply put, by when you are performing, focus on performance and smooth performance. And when you are doing feedback, focus on feedback, focus on reflection, focus on looking at yourself and looking at what you like and what you're doing that you want to change, okay? So think about it like this. Whenever you do feedback, don't say like bad or good. Say, what can I increase? What can I turn up? What can I turn down? What can I decrease? Because it's not like, oh, I don't want to do that. If that's the case, then that's fine. But then each time that you perform, try and turn it down by, you know, a factor of one. That's it. Okay. And then what can you introduce that you do, that doesn't exist? So turning up and turning down is manipulating factors that exist. And then the third factor is what can I introduce that isn't there? Okay. So uh, recently, a good friend of mine was, um, you know, we were talking about his handstand work. And he eventually got over the, the, the resistance to filming himself. He filmed himself and automatically was able to correct something that he saw as holding him back. Where he's like, oh, I'm doing this. I should probably do that. And if that's the case, it's very quick. It's just something that comes um, almost automatically when you're, when you're viewing yourself from the outside. So this is very important. It's this idea of like the feedback loop allows you to adjust. Then he can work on performance and automating it. And then maybe for 10 repetitions, he can film himself and be able to see his patterns, what typically happens, what doesn't happen. A lot of the time, we are also not, um, as humans, are happy to repeat something for 10 repetitions because we, we perceive time as passing a lot faster than it actually does. So um, recently, I was trying to correct my dog from doing stuff like, you know, walking ahead of me or things like that. I want him to walk, but not pull me. So he's walking and I'll count in my head how many times I've corrected him and how quickly I, let's say, get frustrated because he's not adapting or not changing. And I realized that it's less than th uh, three to five reps of correcting him before I start to get frustrated. And just counting allows me to think, you know what? <clears throat> I'm not actually giving him a lot of opportunity to actually change. So let me, you know, let, let me give him at least between 10 and 20 to respond to the stimulus of feedback. And usually when I do this, he then starts changing because there's enough time for him to see, oh, I keep getting this action when I do this thing. I keep, you know, he keeps saying no when I do this thing, let me not do that. And the associations that take time to develop. Okay. So in saying this, there's an idea for modification of behavior in terms of skill performance that comes in with feedback loops. And we need to take it as that rather than taking it personally and saying it's a reflection of my personal value or personal worth. It is not. It is not. And that is one of the biggest things that a learner can get over and actually plug into their learning to accelerate the learning as well. Feedback loops matter. Now, I've already given you a couple of ideas on this with regard to what can you turn up, what can you turn down, what can you introduce. Another thing that, um, that you can do if you have a teacher or a coach or someone, a mentor who's helping you, it's very simple to ask what are the two biggest things that I'm doing that need 
to change. And they will tell you. And if it's too big, say, how can I break that up into more achievable parts? And your teacher or your coach who knows more about this kind of thing will be able to give you a little bit more guidance. Okay. So whenever, uh, sorry, whenever anyone's learning a language, I always tell them um, this advice. Remember who is in control of the learning, the teacher or the student. And most of the time, students will say, oh, the teacher. I'm like, no. The teacher, it doesn't matter if you learn or not. The teacher doesn't care. The teacher is still going to get paid and do their job. And yeah, they might like you to, to learn. But ultimately, you, the student, especially someone who's an adult learner, is responsible for your own learning. And so don't hand over that, that agency, that sovereignty, that responsibility, that control to someone else. Because I'm telling you now, they will disappoint you in that they are not psychic. They cannot read your mind. They don't know what you want, what you're dealing with, etc. So it's your job to actually take the helm as master and commander of your own ship, uh, of your own learning endeavor, and to then guide the teacher into giving you the correction, the feedback. The teacher is a resource. That's the best thing to say. The teacher is a resource to be used. Think of the teacher like uh, Siri. Hey Siri, why was my sentence wrong? What's the best thing I can do with my pronunciation to improve it, etc. Teacher then gives you feedback. Great. And then you plug it into the learning formula again. Great. How can I plan, see patterns, etc. about um, my performance in general? And then how can I plug it into performance of isolating, integrating, improvising, simulating, etc. So the best thing that you can do for your learning and actually for almost your entire life is to have some form of feedback loop to build into things. So, in saying that, there is a discussion to be had on this with personal development and uh, work around emotional trauma, things like that. You know, it's it's quite a, a deep topic, and I'm, I'll go into it in in different cases. So for now, let's just say that this particular feedback loop mechanism that we're discussing is only for the acquisition of new skills. So if that's the case, understand that all new skills are expressed physically first. Even information, even if you're learning mathematics, the question is, is if I put a video on you, you know, CCTV camera footage, watching you while you're learning, quote unquote learning, what will it see? Are you taking physical action or are you sitting there with a book turning pages or are you writing and rewriting and speaking out the thing that you're trying to learn? Are you sharing it with people and actually educating people as to how it all works? The more you can make it physical and what I mean by that is by writing it down, speaking it out, teaching it to others, rehearsing it, you know, like gesticulating it with your hands. The idea is the more physical your movements, your body interacting with that information in your head the stronger it is so this is definitely one of the first things that we want to notice in the feedback loop is physically how you are expressing what you are learning okay and then what can you turn up what can you turn down so usually with physicality as well comes uh, silences stutters things like that so i want you to notice that if you're learning something and you have to think a lot you know, there's usually a silence or what's known as a filler sound, which is like ums, ahs, ers, things like that. 
and that is a good spot to notice that there's no automaticity going on. The, literally, the physical body is trying to think of what to say, and so we'll fill the space with either silence or filler sounds. So, in that way, I would highly recommend that that's what you do first. So, language learning, that's quite easy. You're going to be like, uh, uh, but if you're playing piano, there's going to be a stop, a break in the smoothness of everything. Um, in the flow of the music, you know, if there's something that you're trying to learn at work, like a particular skill, like, I don't know, how to print documents or something like that, and there is, you know, hesitation, it's the idea of, okay, cool, this is one part where I need a link, I need a bridge from one string of things that I'm comfortable with to the next connecting string of things I'm comfortable with. And so it's actually practicing the, the space between uh, information which is important, the space between. And so <clears throat> these feedback loops allow us to first practice the actual things themselves. And we say, okay, cool, I'm happy with that thing. And when we integrate them together, these feedback loops are like, okay, great, I need to glue these things together. I need to be able to create a bridge between these spaces. Great. Um, we can also say emotionality and gesticulation and energy. You know, if someone is, um, one of the standards on handstands was not just can you hold a handstand for 60 seconds? But it was, can you hold a handstand for 60 seconds and uh, basically mimic a statue where I wouldn't even know that you were real um, compared to a statue because you just weren't moving. Your corrections for balance were so minor, so minor that they were barely perce perceivable by the eye. Perceptible. Perceivable. You were barely able to perceive them <laughs> with your eye. So the idea is that, can you imagine 60 seconds performing a handstand like a statue? Okay, so now we've got a volume metric, um, which is our first one. Can I achieve 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 40 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it is, and then a manner metric. How can I achieve this? So if I'm wobbling all over the place, I still achieve my 60 seconds, but if I'm still as a statue, the idea is that that's a, uh, a manner metric as well. So your feedback loops are not just for criticisms, but they're also just to be able to see according to your metrics that you've decided on in your pre-learning phase what exactly you're doing. So I would highly recommend that anyone learning any skill would go for first, can you remember everything? Whether you perform it or not is irrelevant, but do you have everything? And you need to go through a feedback loop to check that you remember everything before you decide to move on to performance. That's always a good sign, okay? Then number two is, can you perform it? And your iterations of performance will get better and better and smoother and smoother. So decide what those metrics are <clears throat> for the fluidity. And then after that, I would go for um, real-world kind of um, simulated experience, improvising, etc. So the one of the best ways to think about it is to think about it from... Um, the idea of uh, a play in the theater. And so stage one, actors get a script. They analyze the script. That's your pre-learning phase. And they start rehearsing um, with the script in hand. And feedback loops come in with teachers, sorry, with teachers, with the directors, with other actors as well. As well as then maybe recording themselves, watching themselves, see what works well, what doesn't work well, which intonation should they use in these particular you know, lines or whatever. <clears throat> Phase two is where they get away from the script and 
they basically start internalizing a lot of it and making it flow and seemingly connect together, right? We've got a lot more emotionality. There can still be breaks in knowledge. We stop, we go back, we drill again. Uh, we take feedback and direction based on movement patterns as well as interaction patterns. And then phase three is going to be much more along the lines of simulation, uh, simulation and improvisation where what we're doing is actually going into uh, dress rehearsals and full run-throughs and things like that to see from start to finish what do we have and basing our feedback loops based on that as well. So that's it. Feedback loops, very, very, very useful for the learning uh, formula. If you have any questions, please let me know. Otherwise, as I've said many a time before, please uh, share this with someone you love that you want to start a, con uh, you know, a good conversation with a cup of coffee, a nice meal, perhaps a Zoom chat, whatever it is, uh, feel free to share this and add value. That's my main thing. And remember that every Monday, I'm trying to schedule these things so they come out each Monday as well. I've got a long list of things to talk about. If you have any ideas of things that personally we've exchanged in conversation or you've seen or you, you're curious about, if you want my take on them, uh, send a message. Yeah, give me feedback. What can I turn up? What can I turn down? And what can I introduce that would perhaps raise the quality and the value of this? And as always, if there's any ideas that you don't agree with, raise them because that's another form of feedback. Is a form of um, you know uh, criticism, disagreement. And so I never move away from disagreement because the idea is that within disagreement, I'm going to be able to understand you better and either clear up any miscommunications, number one, or number two is just to state my values and my structures correctly, which means that even if you disagree with them, we can understand that it's a disagreement based on values or something like that. You know, it's always room for growth. Always, always, always. That's it for me. I hope you have a wonderful week. And uh, yes, we'll see you in the next one. Until then, ta-ta for now.